Good to see you, church. So glad you're here this Sunday. I promise that God is going to speak to you today. My name is Andrew. Um, I'm on uh, the team here at Velocity. I'm one of our staff pastors, and I'm just so, so thankful to get this opportunity to preach today, to be with you today. Um, And I'm just so thankful you're here. I know God's going to use this moment to help you move forward in your life. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, I'm the experienced pastor. means that I'm over all of our experienced teams. What are those? It's the, well, first it's the best teams, experienced team. Um, But they are the worship team, the production team, and the communications team. Yeah, you can give it up. Well, give it up for yourselves back there. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for being easy to lead. Thank you for giving your time and sacrificing your lives to build God's church. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you. And I also, so that's who I'm over, but I'm also under incredible leadership. I'm under incredible senior leaders, our, our, our lead pastors, and I'm just very thankful for you in my life. My, um, I try not to get weepy. I'm just a weepy person, though. Um, I, my, my life is better. My, my marriage is better. My kids are better. My, uh, my, my leadership is better. Everything in my life, God has used you to make me better, so I thank you for that. And, and we're, in a, we're, we're in a series called Leading Second, uh, where we're learning how to follow first and lead second. One of the theme verses of the series is found in 1 Corinthians 11. You can write it down. It's the first verse is follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And um, something that I just want to honor our our pastor for is he's not here today because he's championing another church. If you didn't know that this church and our pastor is about one thing, and that's about making Jesus known. And we support other churches. He champions other churches. He's friends with other pastors. He builds up other churches. We are generous to other churches. Why? Because we believe that this is plan A, God's plan A to reach the world, and there is no plan B. And so I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful that we have pastors that um, right now he's in New York celebrating someone else opening their building that we got to be a part of as a church, whether you know it or not. So I'm just so thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be on their platform. I do not take it lightly. All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. We're going to have the words on the screen if you need them. Uh, But go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or your phone, and we'll read 5 through 10. It says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, I love what Pastor Brandon said about Capernaum last week the influence that we can have in our city and our city can have in the world. Jesus had entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Jesus, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. 
I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I love this passage of scripture. I'm so excited to preach about it and, and dive into it, but I just want to key, on, key in on one verse for our title today. So the verse is, for I am a man, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Meaning this soldier, this centurion had come to Jesus. He's in this middle space, this leading second space where he has authority over and he has authority of, over the people under. It's over and under. And that's the title of today's message today. It's over under. Would you tell your neighbor, over, under? Tell your neighbor. Now tell your second choice neighbor, over, under. <laughs> so over, under is actually a gambling term. Um, who knew that in the room? Who knew that? Sinners! <laughs> Pagans! I set you up for it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but an over-under, if you haven't heard of it, it's in sports betting. Um, and I promise this is not a gambling sermon, but uh, just stay with me, okay? Uh, I want to talk about the idea of over-under in sports gambling or sports betting, just for a second. So it's, a, it's not a wager on the outcome of the game itself. Like, you're not betting on who's going to win. You're betting on uh, what the outcome of the score is going to be. So over-under is it's, uh, it's, um, where you take the final score of the game. So the dust has settled, the, the game is finished, the final score. You add those two things together, and then you compare it to a number that the odds maker uh, sets before the game, and that gets your over-under. So let's take it a really, really good example, shall we? Does, does anybody know what happened last Sunday? Anybody know? Yeah. The kingdom, right? Uh, so, the I got I got to make sure I got these numbers right. Why would not go away? Um, the Super Bowl was last week. If you didn't know, I don't know how you didn't know. But uh, the the Chiefs won. It was amazing. And uh, the sports books before the game had set the odds or the odds makers had set the over under to be fifty point five. So the odds makers were thinking. Um, that, that uh, it was going to be 50.5. The two scores were going to be either over or under 50.5. But the score ended up being, come on, 38 to 35 in this amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing game. And so the, when you put those two scores together, you get 73, 73 points, which was over the over-under. So if that's what you bet, then you got the, the rewards for that. So that's what an over-under is. But I pr again, I promise we're not going to be talking about gambling the rest, of the, the rest of the sermon. But I want you to understand this thing for the rest of, the, the rest of this time is this. It's over-under is two things that are combined to get an outcome. Two things that are combined to get an outcome. And that, there are so many things from this passage of Scripture that I love about the centurion who was over authority. He was also under 
authority. There's so many things we could ring out. Like one thing that I was thinking about we could preach on is uh, that he was a centurion. There was uh, a century. So a century is 100 years, right? And whenever you bike a century, you're biking 100 miles. So he had 100 soldiers that were under him. What does this mean? Why is that significant? It's because he was a leader. You imagine having 100 people that are, their lives are entrusted to you. This, this man had a lot of weight and a lot of leadership. And something about the centurions, you might know this, but they had the red plumes. You know what I'm talking about? The big helmets. You can see them from far away. The, what you can take from this, a leadership lesson maybe uh, that whenever they were in the heat of battle or you know, the blood, the adrenaline, the fog, the, the dust, like there's, all they could see was this red plume. They knew that their leader was ahead of them. They knew who to follow in case of emergency or where to follow because of this example. And so maybe that's what we could talk about today is the example of leadership is a lot more important than what we say sometimes. So our example matters. Or maybe we could talk about, I love this line in this passage, verse 7. It says, shall I come and heal him, Jesus said. We could preach on how we serve a God who just, he says, where's he at? Let me know. I want to heal him. What's your need? I want to help you. And we could talk about as a church, are we a church that no matter who comes into our doors, the baggage they have, the need they have, no matter who comes in, are we the people that says, what's your need? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Are we the Christians in the week, during the week that are saying, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can Jesus heal you? Are we that church? But we're not going to preach about that. The other thing that I was thinking about was the Jew and Gentile context of this time. This is super significant that uh, the, the Gentiles was anybody basically who wasn't Jewish. And then so the Jewish people, anytime they would go into a Gentile house, they would be ceremonially unclean. So they would be spiritually unclean. So what they would do is they would have to go through this ritualistic process to become clean. They would have to be isolated for a little while and then become clean so they could come back into community. And we could talk about the honor, the, the knowledge of this Gentile who doesn't even believe the tradition of the Jewish, like, tradition of Gentiles and Jews. And, and he said, no, 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 Jesus, don't come into my house because that'll put you out. I want to honor you. Please, I don't want to put you out for helping me. So we could talk about honor in that way. Um, we could talk about the ending of the story, but by the way, the spoiler is Jesus did it. Like he healed, he healed the servant. It was miraculous. It was an incredible moment. The, the thing about the miracle, though, that we could talk about is that it was a long-distance miracle, a text message miracle. What do I mean by that? Is that the centurion said, wait, don't come into my house. Stay there and just speak a word over my servant. That's super significant because at this point, Jesus had always been in the room. He had always been touching the thing that he was giving healing to. He was in the room when the water turned to wine. He was, uh, it, he was in the room when he touched the leper right before this passage in chapter 8. He touched the leper so that he could be healed. He, he spat in the ground and rubbed dirt on eyes so the blind could see. So it was so crazy that one he even thought of it he even thought like because this has never been done before he never knew he, he doesn't know so this is amazing and it says in the text it says in the text in uh the new king james translation it says jesus marveled at the centurion's faith jesus marveled it amazed 
Jesus. And if you didn't know, Jesus is a really hard guy to impress. Like, first line on the resume is created the world and stuff. Like, it's hard to amaze Jesus and, or ha- have him be marveled at something. And that actually, it's only two points in Scripture that Jesus marveled at something. He marveled at the abundance of faith, and then he marveled at the absence of faith. The abundance of faith of this centurion, and then the absence of faith in his hometown. This hometown did not honor him, and he marveled at their lack of faith. So we could talk about that. We could send, honestly, we could do a whole series on this one line in Scripture. It's Matthew 8, 13. It says, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So Jesus was telling the centurion that if you had the faith to believe for this, here you go. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most influential preachers of the last 200 years, and some call him the the prince of preachers, called this phrase, the, the thing Jesus said, let it be done as you believed. He called it the rule of God's kingdom, meaning if you believe God for a little, he will bless you a little. If you believe him to the hilt, he will bless you to the full. Our faith can never outrun the manifestation of divine love that's in our life. It's, our God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. This is a God that if we have faith enough to ask for it, he's willing to deliver it. I think oftentimes we're actually insulting God with how our safe living and small thinking. We insult God with the things that we ask for that are way smaller than than he wants to deliver in our life. We could talk about faith. That's actually one of the things that combined with the second thing creates an outcome in this scenario. So faith, this amazing faith, this marveled at faith of the centurion. But because it's over and under, it's two things coming together to create an outcome. It's not just faith. And I think really, like, we're kind of full. Our appetite is full of the faith message. We talk about it a lot. We should talk about it a lot. It's super important. But we're kind of full on that. Some, but the second thing, the second thing that we might be malnourished in, the second thing that we might not lean into enough or we might not understand, the second thing is this, understanding authority. Understanding authority. See, it wasn't just the size of this man's faith but it was the scope of his submission that caused this miracle to happen. So we have to be armed with a huge faith, but powerful because of a huge submission. I didn't get a lot of amens, so this is going to be fun. Okay, so we're going to talk about submission and authority. Okay, let's do it. All right, but I uh, want to go over another translation that really helped me understand why it was these two things that, that... came about to create the outcome. Matthew 8, 8, 9, and 8, Matthew 8, 8, and 9, the easy-to-read version says, the officer answered, Lord, I am not good enough for you to come into my house. You need only to give the order, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I understand authority. There are people who have authority over me, and I have soldiers under my authority. 
I tell this soldier, go, and he goes, and he goes on to talk about his authority. So the Roman centurion was able to be over all God had put over him because he had learned how to be under the authority that was over him. So we, this is crucial. If we're to get both of these things, to get the outcome that we want, we have to have both, over and under, faith and submission, authority. And so, you know, worship and, and authority, submission, that's just another word for worship, right? Worship, in the New Testament, there's six words that are six Greek words that are used to describe worship or are attributed to our translation of the word worship. But I just want to highlight one of them, and it's proskuneo. Proskuneo, just say that out loud. That's a good question. No, it's right here. Come find me after if you want to know how to spell it. But the most precise, this is the most precise and consistent definition of this term, is to worship and to prostrate. Prostrate. What does that mean? It sounds super weird. But it's to lay oneself flat on the ground, face downward, in reverence or submission. And this, by the way, is why the first third of our service exists. Why, why do we sing out to God? Why do we worship? It's because we don't have just something we need to receive from God, but there's something that we can give to God. We can give our energy. We can give our attention. We can give our life. And why, why do I personally prioritize being here right on time every single Sunday so I can get every single ounce of worship that I can? Because I suck at authority. I don't know if you do, but I definitely do. I bristle up to it. Someone telling me what to do. Who are they telling me what to do, when to do it, how to do it? Authority is hard for me. What's the antidote? It's worship. Worship says, no, God, you are my authority. God, not my will be done, but your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. It says, I'm putting myself low. I love that we sing that song, Sing Full Kingdom. The, the low will become greater. That's what worship is. And so I want to invite you to an incredibly important night for your faith. And that is our worship night. Our worship night. So this is a completely different service than our Sunday morning. This is going to be on March 5th, Sunday, March 5th at 6.30 p.m. So this is an opportunity for you to show up and show God, I give you my worship. I give you my authority. And you are my authority, Lord. And I want to give you the elevator pitch, though, because we're going to have a lot of incredible things happening during this service. So the first thing is we're going to have baptisms. I love baptism so much. What a great expression of submission that we're submitting our lives into the water, coming out a new creation, more free. So we're going to not have uh, baptisms at the end of the month in February. We're going to push it to this night. So if you need to get baptized, if you've stepped across the line of faith, you need to make that faith declaration public. Do it March 5th, Sunday night. It's going to be great. And then the other thing is Pastor Justin is going to be giving another message. It's a completely separate message, different message than the Sunday morning. So not the same thing. And so we get a double dose of the, like, the best communicator you probably have heard, right? It, our preacher. So he's going to give two different messages for that, that night. And uh, what else do we got? We got uh, you can receive prayer. This is an incredible thing. You can, you can come and receive prayer. Our staff is going to be all throughout the room, and you can receive prayer if you need it. And the last thing is we will have child care for nursery pre-K. 
Um, and so you do need to register your kids before you come if you're, if you're bringing nursery pre-K. But we're, very, we're being very intentional. We want you to bring your elementary school kids, your middle school kids, your high school kids into the auditorium with you. Why? It's because follow me as I follow Jesus. When your child, when our children see that we are submitted to something greater, submitted to the great I am, submitted to God, it's, it does something in them to say, okay, my authority has authority. It also models a life of worship that we need to model for our children. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's worship night. End of my elevator pitch. Be there. You're, th- this is going to be a powerful and special night. God is already at work and moving in our preparation and it's going, to be, it's going to be an incredible night of worship. So 6.30, March 5th. And uh, last, last thing <laughs> is the invite that was in your seat. That's for you this week. But next week, that invite is for someone else, okay? So someone else that needs to feel the presence of God in their life, bring them to March 5th, the worship night. Okay, now I'm truly done. But like the centurion, we need to have two things in our life, in our faith. We have faith and we have submission. We have faith, and we understand what it means to have authority. And with our remaining time, I want to focus on what the centurion said in verse 9. I know this because I understand authority. Now, understanding is built up of either the lies that we believe or the things that, that we know to be true. And so the lies oftentimes determine the lives that we lead. So I want to unpack the lies of leading second today. We've got four of them, and then the lessons that we can grab from them. Okay, you ready? All right, here comes the first one. The first lie of leading second is that authority is a human-made social construct. Authority is a human-made social construct. So a social construct is simply a concept that exists not in the objective reality but as a result of human interaction. It exists because humans agree that it exists. Authority exists whether or not we agree that it exists. How do I know this? This is what what that lies presupposes that we humans create authority. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So what's the lesson? The lesson is we cannot spell authority without the author. Jesus is the author, the perfecter, the authority of our faith. So the lesson of leading second for this lie is God is the author of authority. He designed it. He anoints it. He champions it. He is it. God is the author of authority. Where did I get this? Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What does this mean? It means that when God creates something, he takes things that are formless or empty and creates order. So why did he create authority? He created authority to bring order to confusion and chaos. It actually brings more freedom in our life to have authority. 
Okay, here's the second lie. Okay, write this down. It says, God is the only authority in my life. God is the only authority in my life. Now, if you know, or if you know a two-year-old or if you've hung out with a two-year-old, uh, I have a two-year-old. She's going to be three in April. If you know, if you've hung out with any toddler, you know that they believe this is true. Like in their heart of hearts, they believe that God is their only authority. What do I mean? Uh, my wife, um, she does a ton of research on being a mom, being parents. She helps us a ton. But one thing she researched uh, and told me this week that I was like, I'm for sure going to put that in the message, was your, a lot of research says that if your toddler is resisting your authority and craving independence, they are developmentally on track. So they are doing the right thing in their development when they're resisting earthly authority. Isn't that awful? Like, that's terrible. And forgive this illustration, but I am surrounded by Disney princesses right now. Um, but just listen to these lyrics of how Disney tries to relate to the, our children about authority. Okay? You know, I probably know it. Is no one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming. Let's stop for a second. What are the lyrics again? It's literally no one to tell us no or where to go or t say we're only dreaming. Great. All right, I'll give you a second one. If you're not convinced, uh, this one I had to like, literally like, go back and learn. But it's, uh, betcha, betcha on land they understand that they don't reprimand their daughters. Bright young women, sick of swimming, ready to stand. What? So th this, is, this is what, and, and I wonder why she doesn't listen to me, right? I wonder why she doesn't understand authority. Now, this is a really silly example. I'm not down on Disney or anything like that, but I just want you to understand what the world believes about authority and how it's different than what God instituted through authority. So God said this in Genesis 1, 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You got it, Emerson. This is where a lot of us as Christians and followers stop when it comes to authority. We trust God and know that he is our authority. But our bosses aren't our authority. Our leaders aren't our authority. And this one's super spicy, but I think you can handle it. Our presidents aren't our authority. I can tell by the way you're looking at me that you need a verse. Okay, so here's the verse. All right, Romans 1, I'm oh, sorry, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. 
and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That's a really hard verse. It really hurt me this week. But you might still be saying, but you don't know my boss. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Yeah, but you don't know my leader. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. So God institutes and ordains human authority over us in our life. What's the lesson here? Write this down. It's our attitude toward the human authority that we can see reveals our attitude about our heavenly father that we can't see. I want to say it again. Our attitude toward the human authority that we can see reveals our attitude about our heavenly father that we can't see. So if we have authority issues, me, it's the, the problem ultimately is with God. Because what, what I'm saying, what we're saying is, you know, I don't really like how you're running the universe up there. Right? And I think we struggle with this lie because of the third one. So I want to unpack the third lie. This is what it says. God only wants to use leaders of integrity in our life. God only wants to use leaders of integrity in our life. But let's, let's take a moment and let's, let's praise God that there are leaders who have integrity. Leaders who uh, don't cut corners. Leaders that are good authority. Th- this is an amazing gift when we do have authority that is, has integrity. This is amazing. But this really does need an explanation because God is the author of authority. He, he created it. But that doesn't mean that all authority is godly and good. And if my heart breaks because of the abuse, the taking advantage of, the awful things that people in authority have done, how much more does it break our Heavenly Father's heart? How much more does it grieve Him? See, this was not his original intention for authority, but because of Adam and Eve's decision, our humanness, our our flesh got wrapped up in this divine thing that God created. So we have to understand this about leaders of integrity of our life or not, people who are unworthy of leadership. The pain we've had in our life from earthly leaders, we need to understand this. God allowed that authority in our life but it doesn't mean he agrees with that authority in our life so why is that significant it's because God is a master at taking what he disagrees with and what the enemy meant for evil and turning it for good the saving of many lives and one of God's preferred ways to develop us to grow us is to place us, one of the ways he gets us to being worthy of authority is putting us under unworthy authority. And so I want to give you some examples of this really quickly. In Romans 13:1, you know, we just read this verse, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
Now, this verse was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. This was 50s, 50s AD. So who was the Roman emperor in the 50s? Nero. Nero was in power at the time. What was Nero famous for? He was famous for arresting and torturing all the Christians in Rome before executing with this lavish publicity. Some were crucified, some were thrown to wild animals, and others burned alive as living torches. You know, our bosses are looking pretty good at this point, right? What about Old Testament examples? We could talk about how in Genesis chapter 9, Noah just, and his family had just gotten off the ark. He had planted a vineyard. He, he uh, partook from the vineyard, and he was drunk, like drunk and naked. He was alone in his tent. He was uncovered. Shame. This is not right from the authority. And there was two different responses. One, one of Noah's son, Ham, by the way, great baby name. My, my dad is obsessed with the baby name Angus. So maybe we could do Angus Ham next time. It'll be good. Anyway, uh, one of Noah's sons, Ham, left him uncovered. He left him uncovered, left him in his shameful place. But his two other sons, Shem and Japheth, covered him even though they saw his shameful and human mistake. God rewarded the two sons who covered and cursed the one who uncovered. Unworthy authority. Another one, one of my favorites is uh, King David and Saul. King David was anointed to be king. He, he knew he was going to be king one day, but he, he still had Saul who was the king at the time. Saul was trying to kill him. He was trying to kill David. David was on the run. He was in a cave, and I swear I'm not making this up. Saul went into that cave with David and all his men. He didn't know he was there. Saul went into the cave to go to the bathroom, and David said this. He said, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. But what about the last words of Jesus? So this is after the trial from the state authorities as well as the religious leaders and authority at the time. They just beaten him, mocked him, crucified him. He's on the cross, and what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So here's the principle. If God put Jesus under unworthy authority, why would he do something different to develop us? Again, not getting a lot of amens this time. <laughs> but why would he do something different to develop us? The lesson of leading second is this. God is preparing us for authority with authority. God is getting us ready for ultimately what he wants to put us over. But first, he has to make sure we can handle what he has chosen today to put us under. And the truth is that God has dreamed of the authority that he wants to put you over in your life. Before the beginning of time, it says scripture, he had this purpose laid out for your life to make the earth more like heaven, to glorify God in an amazing way. But first, we have to understand authority. This is a great quote from Adrian Rogers, three-time the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said, we will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through surrender.
So there's a preparation process that comes first because if we can't be tested, we can't be trusted. If we can't get it right in the small compromises now with being led, how are we ever going to get it right in the big compromises, the big sacrifices it takes to lead? And this is the thing to remember. In God's economy, we can't lead if we can't be led. And the pain is real. I've had it. You've had it. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying that it was right. I'm saying that that pain could cause us to believe a lie that just isn't true. And it could cause us to believe the last lie. The fourth lie today is I am the only authority I can trust. I think all of the lies combine into this last one. I want to invite the team back up. And I want to go back to the very first thing the centurion did in Matthew 8, 5. He said, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. So the lie we believe is that we are the only authority we can trust. So you might have noticed that uh, I've been sitting this whole time, and um, that's not normal for me. Um, Pastor Brandon can do it because he's really cool. He's got a great anointing on his life. But um, I uh, hurt my back really bad yesterday, um, like so bad that there were moments where uh, like I felt like I was going to throw up because the pain was so bad. And um, praise God, I'm feeling better today. Thank you for everybody who prayed. Um, but it made me think about turning. How God is a master of taking what the enemy was trying to slow me down with, trying to master me with, trying to harm me with, and he's a master of turning it for good. And this is what uh, I was realizing is you, you don't know how much pain or sorry, you don't know how much you need your back until it's hurting. You don't realize how much you're using your back until it's hurting. Uh, but the, th the same is true spiritually. So we don't know how much we need God until we're hurting. And there are some of you today who you know you're hurting. Maybe I brought up a pain point for you today with authority. Maybe you feel forgotten or forsaken. You feel the, the pressure of, of a, a sickness. You feel the pressure of a, a, a decision that needs to be made. You're hurting. I think it, it's, a, it's never easy to ask for help, but I think it's a little easier when you know you need help. And so you can say, Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. I think it's a little easier when we know. But if we believe the lie that we're the only authority we can trust, it makes us do something 
that God never intended us to do. And that's carry the pain, carry the hurt we were never supposed to carry. And so maybe today you've never asked for help. You, and this one's a little harder because I'm bringing it up to the surface right now. The pain you've been numbing, the pain that we've been neglecting, but you've never asked for healing. But I can tell you that Jesus is an authority you can trust. You know, our feelings can change, our needs can change, but our God will never change.